Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. And on this episode, I'm joined by Brian Runnels, the founder of Recur Outdoors. You may know him as the driving force behind PoseFly, an innovative subscription-based flying gear service. We discuss the genesis of PoseFly, the growth of the subscription model to sister brands such as Wade Rodco and Pelican Reels, and Brian's vision for the future. Before we move on to the interview, though, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please share it with a friend and leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. And a shout out to this episode's sponsor. This episode's sponsored by our friends at Norvice. Their motto is tie better flies faster, and they produce the only vice that truly spins. To see for yourself, visit www.nor-vice.com, or even better, visit with them at a fly fishing show near you. Just check out the upcoming events section on their website. Now on to the interview. Well, Brian, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Thanks for having me, Marvin. I appreciate it. Well, I'm really looking forward to our conversation, and we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. I always ask my guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Sure. So I have been uh, fishing pretty much as long as I can remember. Um, Not fly fishing. Uh, Disclaimer, not fly fishing forever, but um, I grew up uh, just north of Boston. Um, we have some great striped bass fishing around here, and I had a couple of uncles that were just really, really into uh, into uh, inshore fishing. And one of my, uh, one of my uncles, Michael Mike, um, was just always had a fishing rod with him. You know, we were close. Any any time we went to the beach or wherever, I mean, he was always fishing, and just kind of took the time to to, to a lot and, and was patient with me when I was like whatever six years old or eight years old. Uh, and, uh, and, and really took to teaching me, uh, how to do it, even though I'm pretty sure he didn't actually know what he was doing. Cause I don't think we caught a ton of fish, but we were just having fun. And, um, and it's particularly special to me. He, he passed away a few years ago. Um, and so kind of having those memories of, uh, of, of spending time with him is, uh, is something that I'll, I'll always remember. Yeah, that's really special. And when did you move to the dark side of fly fishing? Um, probably about 10 years ago, like 2010 ish. Um, I just sort of started spending more time, you know, hiking and and just being outside and, um, you know, found myself in places where I was like, Hey, this fly fishing here would probably be pretty cool. And, um, that was sort of my, my, uh, you know, I guess intro into it. And then I spent, you know, quite a bit of time sort of learning. Um, and, and really that was what drove me to, uh, to start, uh, post fly was, was actually my own journey into, uh, into learning, uh, fly fishing. Got it. And who are some of the folks that have mentored you on your fly fishing journey? Um, you know, on the fly fishing side, like not, I don't really like have any, any particular person that was like, you know, kind of guiding me through it. Um, that was kind of part of the the impetus to start this thing. Um, I was feeling a little bit lost and I didn't like, I lived in Boston at the time. There wasn't a fly shop within a one hour drive of where I lived. And the ones that I did go to, if I was out, you know, and about, you know, weren't really inviting. And so I, I it was kind of like a, a, a like a self-service education, if you will, um, of, uh, of getting into, uh, of getting into the sport. Yeah, got it. And I know that uh, you left corporate America and I guess late 2013 to found Postfly. You know, that takes a lot of courage to make that leap and become an entrepreneur. Um, what gave you that courage? Um, 
you know, I had been sort of, I guess two things. I, I've sort of been always, you know, on the hustle a little bit. Like I've always been an entrepreneur as long you know, as far back as I can remember. Um, I used to take the vegetables out of my dad's garden and like sell them on the corner. I was a DJ in high school and uh, I was, there was a time after college where I was like flipping uh, a wholesale um, motor oil for outboard engines on the internet and on eBay. And I was sort of always like, I always had this like thing in me to like go like make money doing things. And, um, and after college I'd worked for a few different tech startups kind of got this like, fire, um, to, to really want to, uh, start a company. And, um, I saw, you know, I saw a lot of things that didn't work and I saw some companies fail and I, I, I was fortunate enough to be part of some things that, um, became very, very successful and, uh, got to learn, uh, from a, a lot of really smart people about, uh, how to deal with growing business and people and competitors and everything in between. Um, and, uh, so I didn't like, you know, for me, it wasn't like, it didn't feel like this like courageous thing. It just felt like this is, I kind of have this idea and this is the time I want to do it. And, and everything just sort of lined up and, uh, and um, just kind of went for it. Got it. And can you give us a little bit more detail around the problems that you were trying to solve in the fly fishing industry when you started Postfly? Sure. Uh, so again, this goes back to like my journey into learning fly fishing. So I was, you know, fairly sort of tech savvy, uh, uh, individual. And, um, I had been starting to just want to learn more about this stuff online and, um, and sort of at my own pace. And there wasn't really much available outside of running or, you know, of sort of digging up YouTube videos of, you know, learn how to cast or learn how to tie fly or, or whatever it might be. Um, and that's only so helpful until you can actually have your hands on this stuff. Um, and when I started trying to go find these products and these things that, that I wanted to learn about, it was just sort of intimidating. Um, like the internet really didn't provide any resources at the time. There's, there's certainly, uh, some better resources out, out there now, six years later. Um, uh, but even like going into some brick and mortar fly shops, like it's not, and I don't want to, I don't want to cast a bad light on shops cause there's some great ones out there, but a lot of the a lot of the shops that I had gone into were very very intimidating uh, to someone that had no idea, right? Very very beginning, um, uh, uh, sort of part of the learning curve. You know, it's super expensive gear. You know, the rods and reels are five hundred and eight hundred thousand dollars, and you know, waders are six or eight hundred dollars. And you know, here I am walking the store and I'm like, I got a budget of two hundred bucks, and I I want to get everything I need. Uh, and it, it was just not that just wasn't really that much out there. And, so that was kind of like the, 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 uh, the spark, right? Like the light bulb, like, why is this, why is this sport that's becoming more popular that you're seeing it more online? You're seeing it on Instagram. You're seeing young people get into it. Like, why is this thing so, uh, uh, intimidating and so expensive to get into? And that, that, that's the core of the problem that we're trying to solve with, with Postfly is, uh, being able to introduce people to, all of the products and at a price that really anybody can afford. Uh, and you know, that's, this has been, you know, we're now in our seventh year. Um, and this has been something that has always been like the pillar, um, that we stand on is, is really getting this stuff to people, um, layering education into it. So it's not just like, here's a box and, and, and flies. Good luck. Um, it, it's really giving people the, the education and the confidence then to go out and actually use this 
and be successful and have fun and then want to do it again. And that's, that's sort of the, the driver of, of what we do. Well, you know, that's really interesting. And, you know, trying to take that online approach, I'm really kind of curious, right? Because the one thing I think brick and mortar stores do is in a very traditional sense, they build trust with their customers. How did you do that when you started Postfly? Sure. So definitely a challenge. Um, I think the way we were able to do it was by putting a promise out there of being able to deliver these great products and, and this sort of education and this experience that was going to be enjoyable um, and then actually delivering on that, right? So it still is a tremendous amount of work um, to be able to actually follow through on that. Uh, but that is definitely um, a key, you know, sort of, uh, you know, just way to get this done uh, on the, on the internet um, uh, is, is actually following through uh, with your promises. And obviously over time, you know, at the beginning, uh, we had just a few customers, you know, I think our first, I think our first, uh, uh, month we had maybe eight, you know, subscribers and, and every month from there on, it was like the, the size of our customer base doubled and doubled, and doubled, doubled. Now we have a few hundred, now we have a few thousand. And, uh, and once you sort of get to a mass of, of customers, there's now this like referral network and this word of mouth thing that is doing a lot of that trust building for you. But, uh, the at the very beginning, it was just simple. It, it was it was actually delivering on what we were promising to uh, to our customers. Yeah, it's always interesting. You know, it's kind of like uh, it's always the analog stuff that you have to come back to, even if you use a digital strategy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it's like we we you know sort of a you, you shake hands and you promise something and 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 uh, you 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 got to make good on it. And that's, that's sort of what we've always done. Got it. And can you share with us what your typical post fly customer looks like? Yeah. So, uh, generally sort of younger, like under 40 years old, um, uh, kind of living and working in, in larger metropolitan areas. Um, but they're, you know, kind of, um, what I would call these weekend warrior types where, uh, they, you know, work cuts out at five o'clock on a Friday. And these are the type of folks that are going camping or going hiking or going mountain biking or going backpacking or, or whatever it might be. And a lot of women mixed in there, um, as well. And, and, uh, uh, women, uh, both for us and I, and I think for the sport in general are a huge, uh, a sort of quick, very quickly growing, uh, segment, um, in, uh, in fly fishing, which is great. Um, and I think, you know, the other neat thing for us is like the vast majority of our customers are beginner to intermediate sort of side of, of the learning curve of fly fishing, um, like within their first five years. So, you know, this goes back to sort of that problem that we're trying to solve. Uh, and it, it, in, in taking that on, it's just that we've created this sort of natural, uh, uh, like gravity to to, to bring in these folks that are either new, brand new and want to learn or, or in the process of learning fly fishing, uh, into our, um, into our, uh, sort of, uh, uh, system. Uh, and, uh, it's worked out great. So that's really interesting. You know, it's pretty unique. You have a subscription model that you build your businesses around. What made you think that that was a good fit for the fly fishing industry? Um, it's a good question. Um, so, is kind of a couple of things. I think one component was just sort of right place, right time. Um, six or seven years ago, these consumer subscription box um, uh, products were 
both new and exciting and popping up everywhere. So you had razors uh, that you could get every month. I mean, you could get underwear delivered every month. There were flower. I mean, there makeup. There's all sorts of stuff that was sort of popping up. Uh, and it was this kind of very new and exciting format for, um, for purchasing products online, especially products that are somewhat consumable. So with fly fishing, as we know, you wind up chewing through a lot of stuff, whether it be flies or leader or tippet or fly dressing or indicators or whatever the products are. Um, and so that sort of those, those two things, like just being in the right place at the right time and also the consumable nature uh, of, uh, of fly fishing products, um, I, you know, I, I really think is, is what allowed this thing to, um, to, uh, to work and to grow and to make sense for a lot of people. Got it. And so the subscription model really handles the, I guess, the first prong of the problem you were trying to solve, which is access to gear. You know, talk a little bit about how you solve the access to information and educational content part of your mission. Sure. So uh, in every shipment that we send out, we print, um, you know, kind of a, a, a miniature newspaper um, that is really the educational um, kind of inbox component. So Generally speaking, everything that comes in the box, whether it be flies or, or, or accessories or streamside stuff or whatever it might be, um, is in some way highlighted and broken down. So that we're giving people, you know, the basics up, like, what is this thing? Like, if it's a fly, what, what, what is the name of this fly? Uh, which can be a little bit intimidating sometimes. Um, and also, like, what are you going to do with it? Is there, are there rigging techniques? Are there, gen- are there fishing techniques that are going to make it more effective? Um, uh, and so on and so forth. So that's a huge part of this. Like we, we want someone to be able to take this thing, spend five minutes going through the box, reading up on it and, and literally be able to have this box, like in their truck or their car or whatever. And, and with just the box and their fly rod, be able to go and, and start catching fish. Um, that's kind of the, 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 you know, I guess sort of North star for us is we all, we always want to have a collection of things in there. Uh, and the education to, to to give someone the ability to go out and and start and start fishing uh, right off the bat. Um, this year we are really going to start working more on the kind of digital counterpart to this. Um, so I I mentioned earlier one of the frustrations in, in kind of still the same, although I guess I think it's gotten a little bit better. But there's still a lot of fragmentation in the information, like there's really not a place to go right now. If you want to learn fly fishing just online, right? Like we're able to do it by bringing in the offline component and the physical product component. Um, but there really isn't so, uh, a place that, that you can just go and say, I really want to dive into this stuff. Um, and I, and I want it to make sense. And so that's something that we're working on, which I think is going to be great. Uh, and the idea is really to give people not only the ability to have this sort of offline and, and sort of in the field experience with the products, but also be able to digest the, 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 the educational content uh, at their own speed online. And, and I guess really primarily, you know, on their phone is, is really what we're talking about um, is, uh, is something that we are um, really excited to, uh, to get up and running this year. Yeah, that's really interesting. And kind of coming, going back to the beginning of Postfly, you know, can you share the biggest challenge or surprise as you started up the business? Uh, I mean, I run into a new surprise every day. Um, but the probably the biggest challenge with this business has been the, the flies themselves. Okay, so 
especially at the beginning, I had no clue uh, of any, I mean, not even the slightest clue of the landscape of the sort of commercial side of of the fly fishing business. Um, I think the first month that we actually shipped products out, I walked into an Orvis store. I just went around and bought a bunch of stuff and I put it in the boxes because I had no idea where to even go to get these things. So obviously losing money going and buying things retail and sending them to your customers is not really the way to do it. Uh, but it got us, it got us past the first month and then we went from there. Um, I have been around the world many, many times, um, in the past six years, trying to figure out the commercial, like the commercial fly manufacturing, um, uh, component of this business. Um, I've seen it all. I've seen every place that, uh, is out there that, uh, that's making this stuff. I've seen the good ones. I've seen the bad ones. Um, and, uh, I've learned a ton. Um, there was a point where we actually tried to start our own commercial fly tying operation, um, in Southeast Asia. And that was a complete disaster as, uh, one might imagine. Um, and almost sunk the company. Uh, we basically spent all of our money and ran out of it very quickly and things were getting stolen from us. And it was, it was, it was pretty bad news. And maybe we can get together for a beer one time and I can give you the details. Um, but there was a silver lining of that. And that is through that experience, we actually wound up meeting, uh, the, um, the partner that we have now in our, uh, in our commercial fly tying operation now. So very, very painful to go through, but, um, we now have the, the, you know, without question, the best partner in the business, uh, on the commercial fly side. Um, we have recently, uh, just built and re- and just opened. I was over, I was over there maybe about a month ago. Uh, the most ethically responsible, uh, commercial fly tying operation anywhere on the planet. Um, and it's something that I'm super proud of, uh, and, uh, something that we're going to really start highlighting in our, um, not only in our sort of like forward facing marketing of, of like why you maybe should, uh, buy, you know, products from us and, and be a customer of ours, uh, but also something that we're going to reiterate to our existing customers that you're spending your money here. You have options out there, uh, but we want them to know when they're buying stuff from us, truly where it's coming from and, and actually introducing them, introducing them to the people, um, that are responsible for making those products. So it's been, um, it's been quite a journey in, 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 in that sense. Uh, but, uh, and, and again, quite painful at times. Uh, but, um, where we are now is, uh, is absolutely incredible. Uh, and we never could have gotten here unless we went through all of those really, really difficult times, uh, and, and making quite honestly, just mistakes, uh, uh, to, uh, to get us to where we are now. So that's, um, that without question, the, the, the fly, you know, the, the, the making of the fly itself has been the sort of most uh, challenging component um, in, uh, in what we do. Got it. You know, I think our listeners will be interested. Can you talk a little bit more about, um, you know, when you say that it's the most ethically responsible process uh, on the planet, kind of what you do for your employees that makes it that way? Yeah, sure. So um, we, and I'm sure a lot of companies out there sort of use jargon like this, but, you know, we truly put the people first. So we have, oh, oh, let me rewind. When we started working um, with our partner, I believe the entire staff on the commercial um, uh, manufacturing side was somewhere in the universe of 40 people. And that was about two and a half or three years ago. Uh, we now have 140 staff 
Um, we go to great lengths to make sure that these people are taken care of in every way imaginable. You know, if it's things where they need help with a family issue or uh, literally if they need clothes on their back, um, it's, the, it's stuff that is taken care of for them. Um, we have invested a lot of money to actually build the physical facility where we make these products. Um, and I'll actually, I'll, I'll share some photos with you. Um, it is borderline clinical. So I just visited this one, uh, this place for the first time, um, in January of this year, it just opened. Uh, and it felt as though I was walking into like a very modern, you know, uh, what would you call it? Like a, like a, medical clinic, like a walk-in uh, a, a clinic or something like that. It was uh, I- incredible. Um, so giving them an environment that they're sort of like proud of to work in uh, has, been, has been awesome. Um, and providing them with a community to like actually enjoy this job um, in a way that is really not available to a lot of folks in that um, part of the world. Um, you know, we're talking about the options uh, uh, for work being, you know, I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like, picking rice out of a field for 14 hours a day or working in the garment industry, making jeans for 16 hours in a factory with no air conditioning. I mean, this is, this is the type of stuff that is really what is available to to folks in, in, in that part of the world. Uh, And so our mission was really to provide an environment that we would be proud of here in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, And in many cases, there's a lot of things that they do better over there than we even do here. Um, but that's, that's sort of how, you know, how we approach it. And, um, it's, it, I think it shows in our product. I mean, when we, when we send our uh, flies to our customers, I mean, you, you can almost look at it and be like, wow, the people that put this thing together care so much about what they are actually making and what they're actually doing, uh, that, um, that it's, it's, it's just amazing. And so that's, um, that's, that's how we do it. Yeah. That's really cool. And kind of moving back to the business challenges, if we, uh, if you had a time machine, you know, what would 2020 Brian go back and tell 2013 Brian? Um, good question. Um, probably to like slow down a bit, um, which I, which I have, you know, probably in the past like two or so years, but at the beginning I was obviously excited, um, and really just focused on growing, growing, growing and, getting everything to the next level. And, um, I think that that attitude probably helped get us to where we are now. Um, but I'm sure that there were also some opportunities that were missed, um, or some, some decisions that were made that maybe could have been avoided or, 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 or just altered or what have you, if I just maybe slowed down just a, just a tad, um, and, and focus more on being in the moment, uh, than what the next sort of thing was for us as a company or the next sort of level. So I think, I think there's that kind of some good and bad, but I, I would definitely sort of knock myself on the side of the head and just say, Hey, you know, just take it easy, take a deep breath and, uh, and, uh, it, you know, it, it do the right thing and, and good things will happen. Got it. And, you know, one thing I've heard a lot uh, from you know CEOs of startups is that it can be a pretty lonely place because um, you're responsible for a lot of people. And to your point, you're kind of running around with your hair on fire all the time. Um, right. Yeah. Who are some of the folks that mentored you along that journey to kind of make it a little bit less lonely for you? Yeah, that's a really good way to describe it. Actually, it can be a pretty lonely place. Um, um, early on, maybe 
18 months or so after we uh, got started, we were accepted into an accelerator program, kind of startup accelerator program, um, and learned a ton, a ton about acquisition marketing, um, uh, a ton about just like this sort of building of a community and some really, really great things. And in the process, met some really great people. Um, and one of those individuals uh, who is kind of the managing director of the, uh, of the accelerator has kind of just been someone that I've, that I've just always kept in touch with. Uh, and he's seen a lot of companies come through and a lot of them be very successful and obviously, uh, uh, you know, plenty that, that couldn't figure it out. And um, he's always just been there to kind of like help me uh, just look at the options, right? So whether it's fundraising or whether it's new products or whether or hiring or whether, whatever it might be, just a really, really good sounding board uh, and uh, has been very helpful. Um, and then I think the other one really has been my wife and not to be cheesy, but um, she has no real like emotional investment, uh, if you will, in Postfly, and I have 150% emotional investment. Uh, so a lot of a lot of what I look at is is based on emotion and not you know it, it can be based on emotion and not um, reality. And uh, she's just been kind of a rock in in keeping me grounded and, and trying to make the right decisions that are are based on what's good for the business, uh, and, and not necessarily what is good, uh, for Brian's uh, emotional state. Um, and, uh, she's been great. And she, she was actually really, um, part of like the inspiration to start this. She got me a subscription to a saltwater fishing sort of tackle subscription box before starting Postfly, And I just loved it so much. I, I, I loved trying new lures and, and trying new things. And, uh, that was uh, a big part of just getting this thing started and being inspired to do it. And, uh, and so she's just been, um, it's been, just been wonderful to, uh, to sort of help me navigate this stuff. Yeah, that's really neat. And, you know, talking about, you know, it's lonely being the CEO, but, you know, there's probably that moment that you can think of where, you know, you had kind of in your mind's eye what you wanted Postfly to turn into and then getting to that point, knowing that you had a viable business and you were going to be able to realize your vision. When was that for you? good question um you know i i i think like thinking back from the beginning i mean i kind of knew it was going to work right away and it was just because our customers were telling me that it was going to work by actually pulling out their wallets and buying this stuff from us and continuing to buy it every month um we obviously i mean we we have come light years from where where this thing was when i was you know putting these things together on my kitchen floor. And you know, I mean, I, I some of the stuff we were doing at the beginning was crazy. Um, but I kind of knew it was going to work, uh, from, you know, from the beginning, I, I always thought that we could get to where we are now. Um, you know, there were times when I thought it would have, you know, happen faster or wanted it to have faster or whatever. But, um, I always sort of had this thing in my head that like, I know there's people out there that, are sort of sharing in this pain that I was, that I was having of wanting to learn fly fishing, but not, you know, being sort of sure or sort of comfortable with, with how to go about doing it. Um, and I knew that we could build that. Uh, and you know, we just tried to keep our eye on, on the prize and on the mission. And, and, and I just sort of think that that's, that's what got us here. 
Yeah. And talking about keeping your eye on the mission, I mean, I guess what, probably two years ago, give or take, you rebranded into Recur Outdoors so that you had an umbrella brand for all of these silos you were building. And I guess you've got, you know, Wade Rodco, Pelican Reels, Guide Hire, and Bait Fish Supply. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about those brands? Sure. Um, yeah. So the story with this stuff, it's, it's pretty similar. It goes back to this sort of learning and education and wanting to feel comfortable and finding the right products. And, uh, you know, not everybody has 900 bucks to drop on a fly rod and the people that do, that's great. That's awesome. You know, you can buy a Sage or a Thomas and Thomas or, or whatever, a Winston, whatever it is. Uh, and it's something you're proud of and it's a great, it's a great product. Um, but that's not something that's really all that reasonable for someone that is, you know, 25 or 30 years old and, you know, wants to get into fly fishing and doesn't know how to go about doing it and has a budget and all these things. So that was just more like, we thought about that at the beginning. We bet on that being the case. We started this thing. And then we continued to hear that from our customers over the course of the next, whatever it was, three or four years until we started, uh, uh, Wade rods. Um, and, and that is the backbone of, of, of the, of the, you know, brand, right? So it's, it's figuring out how can we build these really high performance products that people can be proud of and want to tell their friends about and want to go out and use, uh, but get it to them at a price that is very, very comfortable. Um, and, and maybe is that, it, that is so comfortable that it can't actually happen in a retail environment because the very nature of the retail environment and how it's set up with, with keystone markups going from, you know, when the manufacturer gives it to a distributor and the distributor gives it to the retailer, obviously everybody has to make money. Um, and when we're able to go direct from building the rods to selling it to our customers, there's 400 or 500 or $600 in markups that doesn't have to go into that product because we're just sending you an email or, or putting something on social media or putting an ad on Instagram that's allowing you to learn about that product. So that is, um, that is really the entire sort of impetus of, of why we wanted to uh, start some of these other brands and get some of these other products going. Uh, and it was really just to give our customers, you know, give our customers and our audience uh, this option for a really, really great product at a, um, at a, at a very reasonable price. Um, so that's sort of the story of Wade rods and, and Pelican reels. Uh, you mentioned guide hire guide hire is a, a sort of an interesting one. Um, GuideHire was started by a friend of mine, uh, and they never really, I mean, I don't want to say they didn't get off the ground, but they never really figured out how to, how to turn it into a business. It was a thing. It just wasn't a business. Uh, and so we agreed to take it over from them um, and have been kind of trying to figure out like the right lane to put it in. Uh, I've seen a lot of folks um, in the past five years try to do, you know, try to have these like search and book a fishing guide platforms, uh, and they come and go pretty quickly. And so we're really just trying to figure out what's the best use for, for a service like this. Uh, how do we make it viable? Uh, and how do we make it something that's valuable to our audience and, and to our customers? Um, so that's kind of on ice. We still, we're, we're still working on it. Uh, but, um, we, we we want to do it right. So when the time is right, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of let everybody know, uh, the plan with guide hire. Um, and then the most recent addition, uh, to our sort of portfolio is Badfish. Uh, and bad, I should call it Badfish Supply. So Badfish also started um, by a couple of buddies of mine who we actually all worked in the same, this is very weird, but 
myself and the guide hire uh, guys and Badfish all actually shared an office like six years ago in, in Boston together randomly wasn't planned for it to work that way. Uh, and then, then sort of, we all wound up working together after that, which was great. Um, but Badfish for a long time was doing, um, sort of media production for brands. So, you know, the Yetis of the world would hire them to go out and shoot a, a new product or, or video or what have you. Um, and we sort of decided that, uh, it would be wonderful if we came together and brought this sort of media creation, content creation stuff in house. Um, and, uh, we're able to do that and, uh, also kind of realized that they had a wealth of knowledge on the, uh, saltwater so, sort of, um, inshore and offshore fishing side of things, not so much fly fishing and had a huge audience that was interested in this stuff. And for us as a business, one of the paths to continue to grow and, and be successful is, is really to find some of these other somewhat sort of niche audience groups uh, inside of the, of the fishing space. So with Bad Fish, we were able to launch a similar subscription box uh, to Postfly, uh, but that's geared for the folks that really want to either learn or get better at uh, inshore saltwater fishing. So fishing for striped bass uh, uh, up here in our neck of the woods, or if you're down south, fishing for red foot, uh, redfish and snook and, and tarpon and things like that. So um, yeah, that side of our business is young and growing uh, and um, we see it as something that is, is, uh, definitely going to be able to stand on its own, but also present probably some crossover opportunity as we grow it, uh, and, and, uh, hopefully be able to introduce more people to fly fishing and then vice versa, introduce folks that are on the fly fishing side to this other sort of, uh, other sort of side of fishing, um, with a goal of, of being able to be like a complete angler, right? There are, there's always times when the fly rod is the right tool. And, and there are certainly some times when it's not. And, and that's uh, and that's sort of uh, how we're how we're approaching it. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's really interesting. And one thing too, I wanted to make sure that our listeners knew is that you know not only are you producing you know high quality, less expensive rods, but you also your subscription model is really a financing tool where people get the rod up front and they basically pay for it over six months. It's exactly what it is, and it's this is sort of the same impetus uh, that I mentioned, like figuring out these ways that people can get their hands on this gear at in a format that works for them. So, you know, most of our rods are priced in the 250 to $299 range. Um, and it's something, even that, like someone may not be able to shell out 300 bucks for a rod and that's totally fine. Um, and so that's why we offer the subscription plan to say, okay, with no sort of like, you know, it's not like a credit check. I mean, it is like very, very bare bones. And, and low sort of barrier to entry to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to chop these payments up. I'm going to pay 40 or 50 bucks a month uh, for the next six months. And I'm going to be able to, 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 use this, uh, to use this great product. So um, that's something that's gone really well. I think nine out of 10 rods that are going out the door right now are going out on the subscription plan. Um, and, uh, and people love it. So it's been, uh, it's been great. Yeah, very cool. And can you talk a little bit? I mean, every shop has a different you know, product development process. What does that look like um, in the Recur Outdoors uh, universe for Wade Rides and Pelican Reels? Sure. Um, so generally speaking, uh, we want to make products that we can beat the crap out of. Uh, that's, that's just kind of the baseline. Uh, we do a ton of saltwater fishing up here. Um, 
these things get exposed to a lot of, you know, salt and, and a lot of sun and they get left on boats and, you know, they get stepped on and they're in back of the trucks. I mean, we, we sort of intentionally uh, don't take care of our stuff sometimes um, to see what we can put it through. Uh, and that, that's sort of what, what helps us, you know, decide what we want to do next and what the next product is going to be. And when we get to design and sort of spec things out and then finally prototype things, we, we, we do the same thing with the prototypes. We're like, okay, how badly can we beat this thing up? Um, so that we know what it can take, what it can't take, what needs to be changed, um, and ultimately allow our customers to, you know, to do the same thing. And there are some people that are probably, you know, never treat their gear like we treat it and, and almost intentionally try to ruin the stuff. Um, but we know that if, if that's the approach that we take and we really try to put this stuff through hell um, and, and build these products that are, are, are that are built to last, uh, then our, you know, our customers are going to wind up getting great products. So that's, um, that's again, sort of the, the, the simple explanation of, of how we do it. Uh, and then, you know, kind of once we're, once we get something to the, that we're, that we're happy with on a, on a prototype level, um, we have several contract manufacturers that we say, okay, here's what we're, here's what we're building and here are the specs and, and let's get this thing to market and we go from there. Got it. And you know, it's interesting, right? Cause designing and manufacturing your own products is really different than buying flies and products and fulfilling orders. How did you manage through that potential disruption when you added that, uh, to your platform? Uh, yeah, um, that is sort of a trial and error thing. Um, we 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 just been doing it for so long. Um, like even with the flies, like there there was never really a time other than that very first month when I walked into Orvis and paid retail for stuff. Um, there was never a time where we were buying products wholesale from someone else to sell to our customers. I mean, we were always getting things made to spec for us in the, in the way that we wanted. So I think in a way that probably um, somewhat like eased the pain a little bit because we've been doing it since the beginning. It just became part of the way that we were doing business. And so it, 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 of course it felt painful at times, but it wasn't, it wasn't an unfamiliar pain. Um, and so that, I, I think that sort of carried over to the rods and reels. We, we, we went at it. I remember when we decided to do the rods and reels, we, I think we launched two, only two uh, rod models with the uh, premise being we're going to we're going to invest in two models only and only one way. So this is like literally two skews. We did a nymphing rod, a four weight nymphing rod and an eight weight, uh, nine foot sort of saltwater focused rod. Um, and we said, if this thing doesn't work and we can't sell them and people don't want or whatever things are, we're going to sweep this thing under the rug we're going to run away from it. Um, and if it works, we're going to, we're going to continue on. And so we, we kept it pretty limited and tried not to overexpose ourselves and, and took it one step at a time. And, and, you know, now three years later, here we are. So it's, it's been, um, it's been great. Well, that's neat. And, you know, one of the unique things about you guys is I know about a year ago, you closed a round of crowdfunded equity. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, preparing for this uh, interview, I actually watched your uh, presentation on Facebook. Um, can you share with our listeners what that process was like? Yeah, so that was great. Um, it was definitely a learning experience. Um, I think the big thing, like for, for us, I mean, we, we've been, we've raised money of, of various sort of shapes and sizes. We, 
you know, went around begging, you know, family members for money at the beginning. We did this accelerator thing, like I mentioned, uh, that came with a little bit of money. Um, we uh, raised some, you know, sort of sold some equity in the company to private investors. We've raised debt money, uh, we've taken various loans. I mean, there's all sorts of various capital that, that's gone into it. Um, the crowdfunding thing was cool uh, because it allowed us to go back to our customers and our fans and say, Hey, you guys are, you know, either consuming our content online or you're buying our products from us every month. And, uh, and we want to, we want to sort of give you a, a, an option to be able to take your involvement in this company to another level. And the crowdfunding vehicle is, is a pretty cool one because whether you have a net worth of $10 million or a net worth of $10, it allows you to participate in this thing at any level. I think the minimum, I think the, the minimum sort of investment level was $100. So it really opened it up to a lot of people who either wanted to just be part of something, be able to have a bar story for their friends, say, I just, you know, I invest in this thing that I, that I really like. Um, uh, uh, or, you know, some, po- some folks put a lot of money. You know, we, we had folks that sent us in, you know, 10, 20, $25,000. Um, which is obviously extremely helpful. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it was great. So I think that is really sort of the big, uh, the big thing for us was like opening up this company to our customers to allow them to sort of, you know, take part in the journey. Um, and, you know, hopefully in the end, share in the upside. I mean, this, at, at the end of the day, this is a business. Uh, and the goal is at some point uh, to, you know, to exit the business and, and, uh, create a return for our shareholders and, and, and the folks that, uh, that, that sort of um, took a stake in the business. So that's, um, it was a great exercise. We'll probably do it again at some point. Um, and uh, it's something that I, I would definitely recommend to anybody that's, ha- you know, has a product or a startup or, or, or what have you to, to investigate um, uh, into, uh, into doing, uh, doing some crowdfunding because it was, it, was, it was actually quite fun. It was, it was a blast. Yeah, it's a neat story. Can you share kind of your biggest surprise or or aha moment during that whole trip? Um, probably that it was it was sort of as much or more of a marketing exercise as it was a fundraising exercise. Um, and by that I mean, you know, we we would see these sort of we'd go on these I don't know, I'd call it a streak or whatever we want to call it if we were constantly putting this thing out there, email, Facebook, Instagram, you know, YouTube, whatever it was, put, we'd put uh, inserts in the box, anything we could do to get this in front of people. If we had our foot on the gas, essentially the money was coming in. People would, you know, people would be making the investments. We see it as soon as we would, you know, for whatever the reason was, I think we did this from October to March. So one of the periods of time was obviously the holidays everyone that sort of has their, you know, we get, we get busy with uh, our sort of selling uh, period uh, around the holidays and black Friday and stuff, but also then everyone wants to take a break around Christmas and, uh, and relax and recharge. And so for, for any of the reasons why we would take our foot off the gas, you would sort of see this stuff come to almost a screeching halt. So it was the more, the more we would put it out there and the more energy we put into marketing it, uh, the more we got out of it. And I think that that, you know, looking back on it, it's kind of like, duh, um, that that's how it's going to work. Um, but it's, it's interesting to, to stitch that sort of marketing attitude to raising money for your business, right? Because a lot of the raising, a lot of the fundraising in the past has been, 
you know, sort of one-on-one conversations and introductions and a little bit of networking and things like that. Um, but I, it's, it's not something I ever really thought of as like marketing. Whereas with this uh, crowdfunding, uh, a hundred, I mean, it's a hundred percent, you are putting your marketing hat on and you are doing as much as you can to get this thing in front of people. And that's how you will be successful doing it. Yeah, it's neat. And if I remember correctly, you guys raised roughly a, a little bit less than a quarter of a million dollars. How did you deploy that in your business? Yep. So, um, we did a few things. Uh, first and foremost, we were able to invest in, uh, in product, in new inventory, um, and, and mostly on the rod and reel side. So we redesigned our sort of gen one reel, um, and we're able to improve a number of things on it and, and get the second evolution of our, of our Pelican reel out the door. Um, I think we launched like six new rod models, um, and we're able to just sort of beef up inventory across the board. Um, so that's where a lot of the money went. Uh, and we also went in and really went and hired the right people to, to do this with. So, um, we, uh, built up our team, uh, which is now, you know, we're about a year, just shy of a year from when we closed that. Um, so, uh, that's, that's primarily where, uh, a lot of, uh, it's primarily where a, of the, uh, a lot of the fundraising money went. Got it. So we're still, you know, relatively early in 2020. What are you guys working on that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah. So I think the big thing again for us this year is going to be to stitch in the digital learning component to our sort of physical offline, you know, product uh, 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 and and service that we deliver. Um, I think that's probably the future, um, not only for us, but I I would say for a lot of businesses um, out there, and I'm saying even outside of fishing, uh, is figuring out how can you create uh, a, a, a kind of a, a digital ecosystem where people can come and you know consume content and learn um, and sort of get what they need from you in in a place that makes sense. Um, and so that's what we're you know working on this year. Um, we'll probably have our kind of first iteration beta kind of test, uh, if you will, uh, in the, in the next couple of months, um, and, uh, and go from there. So, um, I'm, you know, we're, we're, we're thrilled with where the product is and, and, and how far it's come. Uh, we're going to continue to, you know, put out new rod models and, and improve the reels and, and sort of do everything that we've done. But, uh, the big, uh, the big focus around here is going to be uh, bringing in this, this digital component, um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, put it out there and, and we're excited about it. Yeah, that's really great. And, you know, where can folks find you on the internet so they can get more information about uh, what you're doing and maybe join the tribe? Sure. Um, so if you're on Instagram, uh, you can find us at, I think, uh, at postfly Inc or at Wade rods or postflybox.com Um, online, uh, also the Wade rod co online. Um, and then on the bad fish side, uh, which is our, our inshore saltwater uh, um, program, uh, just badfishsupply.com or if you're on Instagram, at badfish. And questions or comments or anything at all, I mean, we're, we're, we're always wanting to sort of hear from our, our fans and our audience and our, and our customers. So uh, please, uh, please feel free to fire away. Well, that's great. I'll drop all of that in the show notes. And Brian, I really appreciate, appreciate you carving out a little bit of time for me this afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Martin. I really appreciate it. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please share it with a friend and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. 
And again, a shout out to this episode's sponsor, our friends at Norvice. Remember, their motto is tie better flies faster, and they produce the only vice that truly spins. To see for yourself, visit www.nor-vice.com. Tight lines, everybody. Thank you.